Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of Idiot Soup. I'm Danielle. I'm George. (laughs) And today we will be talking about climate change and the Green New Deal, which was recently brought to the forefront of the Democratic primaries because there was a seven-hour climate town hall on CNN aired this past Wednesday. And also, since Jay Inslee has dropped out of the race, climate change has really become something that the Democrats are rallying around. So we're going to start off this conversation with just a brief overview of the Green New Deal brought forth by Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And we're just going to talk about how that kind of played in to the Democratic Party primary and how that is wielding its influence on the debate. So in November 2018, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez unveiled her plan dubbed the Green New Deal, a term which actually originated in 2007 from, I believe, a New York Times author who was stating that the Democrats needed some sort of silver bullet to tackle climate change on the economic, environmental, and social sectors all at one time. So when AOC first unveiled the Green New Deal, it became a gigantic catalyst for the Democratic Party. It had over a dozen co-sponsors in the House and I think near a dozen or more maybe in the Senate. So everyone was buzzing to put their name on the Green New Deal to get their name um, on that on that writing. So what the Green New Deal is in its literal most literal sense is a non-binding resolution. So there's a lot of misconceptions that it's a bill or it's a plan, but it's not. So what it means in practice is that were the Green New Deal to pass in its current form, it wouldn't have any legal force behind it. It wouldn't be binding in any way, shape, or form. So that kind of led into a lot of the debate over what the Green New Deal was. So in its in its most literal sense, the Green New Deal did not make it onto debate, did not make it or hasn't made it so far as a legitimate as a legitimate um, plan, and it ended up failing. And the reason why is because it's been seen as such a broad effort. It's been seen as a sort of umbrella resolution, and it has a lot of policy in it that is debatable. It has a lot of vague policy and a lot of really specific policy. So like we mentioned, it is supposed, supposed to be this silver bullet that's going to combat climate change on in all these different sectors, but it really seems to be just a lot of policy and some of it doesn't directly lead to climate change. So it includes things like universal basic income and um, healthcare for all, universal healthcare. So the Green New Deal talks about a lot of things that you wouldn't typically hear in a climate debate, which is why the Republicans latched onto it so quickly and latched onto taking it down because they saw, or they smelled, I guess, sort of blood in the water. They saw how they can use the Green New Deal as a weapon to take down the Democratic Party or to take down that effort, an effort which was specifically led by Mitch McConnell. So when AOC first released this plan, her office, the the office behind the Green New Deal, accidentally, uh, preemptively, I guess you would say, put out an email campaign or promotion for it in which they stated that there would be quote, economic security for those unable to or unwilling to work. So when people started hearing that there was going to be economic security for those unwilling to work, who didn't even want to work in the first place, the entire plan kind of went into a frenzy. 
Mitch McConnell took the floor uh, urging for a vote on the Green New Deal, saying, you know, it was socialist work, that it had, you know, socialistic goals, and it was a big endeavor for the Democrats to turn the United States into a socialist state. And he started calling very heavily for it to be heard on the floor and for there to be a a debate and a roll call vote on that on that um, Green New Deal. And this is partly because he was kind of forcing the representatives and um, he was kind of forcing the congressmen and women to vote on record for the Green New Deal. So that ended up effectively killing it in the sense of a proposal or a resolution. However, the Green New Deal went to live on through the Democratic primary, through the various platforms of the Democrats. So a lot of the front runners have in fact, um, Bernie Sanders actually dubbed his climate change plan the Green New Deal, taking from the Green New Deal. And a lot of a lot of Democratic candidates are hearkening back to it and using it as support for their campaign. So Cory Booker and Klobuchar and Warren, who were all some co-sponsors for the um, for the bill or for the Green New Deal, not bill, sorry, are using that as part of a model for their platform. So that's where the Green New Deal lies today it's not really it's not really um a success in terms of its actual policy and its actual what it intended to get done but it is a success in that it's left a lasting legacy it's brought climate change to the front of the debate and it's kind of forced the democratic party a party which has been so splintered recently to kind of come together around this one set of goals this one set of ideals so that being said even though they have come to come together around climate change being an issue, so on and so forth, the various Democratic candidates have splintered off from the Green New Deal and are making their own climate change plans, the most comprehensive of which being arguably um, Jay Inslee, but he is out of the race, and following that would be Bernie Sanders now has a very comprehensive plan, which we are going to address very soon. So what we've seen with the Green New Deal is merely that all of the candidates are using it to model after their own but they all have different ways, different price tags, different goals, different departments that they're going to be using to be tackling this climate change crisis, which they talked about for seven hours on CNN. But that wasn't a really consumable type of, you know, um, broadcasting because it was seven hours long. So we're just going to talk about a few of those today. And we're going to get back to George, who's going to talk about Bernie Sanders's Green New Deal. So Bernie Sanders recently released his plan, his Green New Deal, his version of the Green New Deal, for uh, his uh, 2020 campaign. So I'll, I'll just go through it here. So he wants to expand public energy creation uh, through investing in renewables um, and make this, or make a big portion of it at least, community-owned or, or publicly-owned uh, energy creation that would sell energy to the American people Um, at less of a rate than private corporations do. Um, It supports uh, modernizing and upgrading infrastructure um, and building more uh, green infrastructure, uh, things like high-speed rail and uh, upgrading uh, or modernizing buildings to make them more energy efficient. Um, He has a program for people to trade in their cars for more energy efficient uh, electric vehicles. Um, He wants to modernize and expand public transportation and um, 
ensure clean water infrastructure all around America. Um, as for research and development, he wants to invest money into new storage techniques for energy uh, to make that more efficient uh, and more efficient things like car batteries and more efficient uh, methods of energy collection. Um, a big portion of this is also economic justice. So he, in the plan, it calls for the creation or, or I guess building of 7.4 million new housing units as well as modernizing uh, current public housing. Uh, the creation of a federal jobs guarantee which would create 20 million new jobs to solve the, cli the climate crisis. Uh, job retraining and help for those transitioning out of the fossil fuel industry and the strengthening of labor standards uh, to provide good paying union jobs to uh, all workers. Um, and he primarily wants to pay for this through corporate taxes by making corporations pay for the damage that they have done to the planet. And he, uh, he also supports or uh, will direct the Department of Justice to sue these corporations for civil and criminal damage that they've done, uh, as well as end fossil fuel subsidies uh, and ban the extraction of fossil fuels on public lands, ban offshore drilling, uh, stop issuing new fossil fuel infrastructure permits, and uh, supports a ban on fracking. Yeah, so Bernie Sanders's Green New Deal is definitely the most ambitious out of all of the candidates that are still left in the field. He, I think his price tag is $16.3 trillion over 15 years. And the next one that comes even close to that, I think, is Pete Buttigieg with $5 trillion. So he is taking the most progressive stance. Um, everyone else, I think, has a more moderate approach, um, especially he's you know, doing a semi-publicized ownership of the electric um, providers and so on and so forth. But one of the interesting things that I think when you were talking about Bernie Sanders' plan and you mentioned like the federal government bringing lawsuits against those companies. Um, so Elizabeth Warren went, she went, she went, um, I don't know, third or fourth or something um, at the climate change town hall. And she mentioned a part of her plan that I thought was very interesting. And it was to allow individuals to bring their own lawsuits. This also allows for that. Against, I mean, I didn't mention it. But I think that's another thing that's interesting is that those two candidates are, are sharing in that endeavor to make these corporations open to the legal system, even on the individual level, because when you're living in one of those frontline communities, the, the population, they're the ones who know best the transgressions of these companies because they have to live with that, um, so on and so forth. But again, with the comparing of Elizabeth Warren's policy to Bernie Sanders's, she's received a lot of backlash for her recent policy flip because after Jay Inslee left the race Elizabeth Warren sat down with him and revamped her climate change policy so Jay Inslee had this 200 
page mammoth of a climate change policy he was the climate change candidate that's what he did that's what he wanted to bring forth and he recently dropped out of the race so (laughs) i just thought of this kind of funny um you know how after artists die their art is like always more valuable and they're always worth more And she stole his art. She stole his art. She stole his art. So Jay Inslee, as soon as he leaves the race, as soon as he's no longer a threat to the other candidates that are in the race, everyone wants to hop on Jay Inslee's climate change plan. Everyone wants to get a piece of it. Everyone wants to stick their name on it. Um, he even bragged that Castro was, quote, looking for him. He So anyways, he's like your Picasso or your uh, Vincent Van Gogh or whatever it may be. So Jay Inslee sat down with Elizabeth Warren and they together hashed out Elizabeth Warren's newest climate change plan. And it kind of mirrors a lot of the things that Inslee did and it also mirrors a lot of the things that you said with Bernie Sanders. Um, and I think this is something that's just universal in all of the Democrats. Uh, all of the Democrats' plans is definitely that transition away from fossil fuels and that 2050 goal of having a zero net carbon footprint. Um, so one of her biggest things that I think um, is a selling point for Elizabeth Warren is that she has a very direct plan of where she's going to cut from or where she's going to take her money from to support this plan. So she specifically cites the Tax Cuts and Job Acts, which Jobs Act, which was under the Trump administration, and she's going to repeal that and institute a like seven percent like wealth tax on those. Um, and she says that should generate enough money for her plan which is in its totality three trillion dollars so one trillion of that is going towards an economic transition to that clean and renewable electricity and also towards the electric vehicles and residential buildings but another thing that i think about elizabeth warren's plan that is really interesting is she heavily focuses on data she wants to do a lot of collecting data so she has this branch um called the green military plan which is actually really interesting and she wants the pentagon to have annual reports evaluating the climate change vulnerability of all the non-combat u.s military bases and she also does this um with the climate risk disclosure plan in which she wants the sec to mandate that all businesses and companies release some sort of information about their company's business vulnerability to climate change so she's about collecting a lot of data and a lot of research both her and sanders you know they're going to stop all drilling neither of them support fracking and they both are kind of iffy on the cap and trade of carbon but they both have expressed some interest in some type of carbon tax to get that job done so with that being said there's not a lot of difference in the ways that all these candidates want to go about getting their um their climate change plan through it's just a live difference between the price tag and i'd say the only real difference between the candidates would be sanders's um semi-public ownership of the electric utilities and the two candidates cory booker and Andrew Yang that support nuclear energy because it's not a very popular stance of the party to support nuclear energy. But Cory Booker, I think, wants to allocate $50 billion towards research there. And Andrew Yang has expressed his complete support for nuclear energy. So that's that on those candidates is that there's not a lot of big difference between the actual policies themselves. It's just the money that they're putting towards. So Sanders is estimating $3 trillion and then it goes up. 
Um, it's just sorry, Warren Sanders, is three million. Sanders is going two trillion. Like, all in on it. Yeah, and Warren, not so much. Yeah, well, you can even tell like Warren hasn't made climate change her big issue. If you go on her website, there's not even a comprehensive section about it. All of her climate change um, policies are actually on the Medium, which is another type of news consumption. Um, website but they're not actually on her own website they're just posts that are updated but Bernie Sanders has this extremely long extremely comprehensive climate change plan that is rivals I would say that of Jay Inslee Um, and it's just much more progressive than anything any other candidate has put up regardless of what you think that means for him as a candidate or how that stands in the field but Senator Warren seems to be almost playing it safe with the rest of of the candidates in the field of climate change and there isn't really nothing new that she's introducing to that so um each candidate has kind of interesting things about their own little climate change program so cory booker is focusing on an environmental justice fund which wants to combat um the impacts of climate change in those frontline communities in those you know tribal lands communities of color low-income communities that are near the refineries and that have super funds in the area and Kasher also mentioned super funds to combat that quote environmental racism which is you know a term that's been coming to prominence during recent times but that being said the end goals for all of these candidates seem to be very similar zero net carbon emission clean energy electronic electric cars sustainable um buildings and so on and so forth so sanders's plan seems a lot more focused on the actual people versus warren's plan which seems more focused on i i I don't know like the idea of climate change i mean sanders has the same so so Sanders has these provisions for pensions and health care for former coal workers in that industry. And I, Warren has the exact same thing in her plan. They're just not as emphasized. Her big emphasis is on renewable energy. But Sanders has this comprehensive plan that emphasizes everything. So Warren doesn't really emphasize that as much. But it's in there. But it does seem that her, her effort, her emphasis is not on the people that are being affected by climate change. It seems to be more of an afterthought. Right, his plan includes like, like strengthening labor laws, and you know creating uh, a federal jobs guarantee, which would help all these people that are transitioning out of the fossil fuel industry. Whereas Warren doesn't. Yeah. And so it. You yeah. Know, so it there seems are definitely. Fo- yeah, like she seems more focused on, just the climate change, which you know I'm not saying that's bad, but. I think Sanders goes the step further and sees doing all this will affect all these people, so we need provisions to help them transition out of this. Yeah, and I think it's important because um, a big issue here is definitely jobs. Because if you transition away from the coal industry, you're taking away a lot of coal jobs. But there has to be this notion that not all jobs are created equal or not all jobs are equal because um, Warren proposes I think it's 1.2 million jobs in clean energy and that sounds all fine and dandy but a lot of those jobs are going to be research jobs and to have a research job you have to have 
an education. You have to go to college for research. You have to take that next step. And arguably, there's not a there's not a, um, as big a market for research jobs in the coal industry as there will be in the green um, in the green industry. So Sanders Sanders's emphasis on that transition between job industries and that pension and that healthcare is something that's really important for being a selling point of his plan because every candidate promises jobs but every candidate has a different way of showing how they're going to get there so biden cites this biden cites this uh research from the u.s department of transportation from highway building but the same people that are going to be building highways are arguably not the same people that are going to be designing green energy and finding green energy and yeah you're going to have some people that are doing manual labor for green energy but you're going to have a lot of people doing research so i think that Sander is kind of acknowledging that there is a difference between these jobs and that, and that gap that has to be closed is something that's really important that a lot of the other candidates don't have as their selling point. One of the big problems with uh, the Green New Deal, or the versions of it, I guess, are is can it get passed through Congress? Yeah. Can it get... Uh, 51 votes in the Senate and what 218 in the House. I mean, not even 51 because 50 in the, the vice, pre- you know, in the vice the, president. Well, you need to get over the filibuster, obviously. Um, and even the most ambitious projections for the Democratic Party have them getting 51 or 52 members in the Senate, which isn't enough to overcome that supermajority threshold of 60. Which, if they can't avoid the filibuster, I think that can kill. I mean, I definitely think it could kill Bernie Sanders' proposals because they are just so much more ambitious than anybody else's. They're so much more progressive than any other candidate is putting out there. But there, there is no conceivable way in which any candidate's version of climate change will get through the Republican Party. I think there are some that are definitely more moderate. Unless you go with through the direct market-based approach which Democrats aren't doing. Yeah. Well, there are some loopholes. So a major... You could, one, get rid of the filibuster altogether. Senator Warren has definitely come out in favor of abolishing the filibuster, and a lot of other Democratic candidates have. Um, But it's funny because Bernie Sanders, who has the most ambitious plan, who would really be the one that would benefit the most from taking the filibuster out of the game, has kind of stayed, has kind of strayed away from the common. Approach oh, I don't think he's. Sh- I don't think he's straight away. He's just said he is also willing to use other methods to pass his his proposals. Yeah, well, he said we don't need to take out the filibuster. We can do it this way. And the way that he cited is budget reconciliation, which is a very niche tool that the Senate and the House both have to use. Um, and I just think it's something that isn't going to work for Bernie's plan, and here's why. So budget reconciliation is something that was adopted in, I believe, 1974 to allow Congress to keep up with the money that the government is spending and allow to avoid government shutdowns so often and so on and so forth. So reconciliation, um, so basically the filibuster is a vote on whether or not debate should end uh, and you need 60 votes to end debate in the Senate uh, the House doesn't have any rule like that but what the filibuster does is it 
automatically ends debate after, I think, 20 hours. Not You, you misspoke. What? You said what the filibuster does. Or, excuse me, what, what reconciliation does. Is it ends debate automatically after, I think, 20 hours without a vote. And then it can be voted on in which it only needs a majority to pass. And that is how uh, Republicans have passed a lot of their tax cuts, um, as well as some other stuff, I believe. So the three topics that someone can pass a reconciliation bill on are spending, revenue, and the federal debt limit. Um, And those are pretty much all-encompassing. But if you pass a bill on one, you can't pass a bill again. You can't pass a bill on the same topic again until there is a new fiscal year, which makes a lot of sense because, you know, the first bill was supposed to solve whatever problem you were going through. So you can't do it again. There's no need to. So since 1980, Congress has seen 25 reconciliation bills, and four of them were vetoed by various presidents. But um, on a general note, they go through Congress pretty smoothly. So when asked about the filibuster, Bernie Sanders said, I don't see something to the effect of like not seeing a reason to a need to end the filibuster because they can use budget reconciliation to get his measure through. So Bernie wants to use it for his $16.3 trillion climate change plan and also wants to use it for his Medicaid for all plan, which seems reasonable. You know, it's a spending um, resolution. So why should not be able to go through budget reconciliation? But there is a small provision called the bird rule and what the bird rule says is that budget reconciliation cannot be used to increase the federal deficit it has to either keep it equal or lower the federal deficit and this kind of puts bernie's plans in a halt because how is he going to conceivably pass a medicaid or medicare for all program that won't raise the deficit and pass a 16.3 trillion dollar health um, climate change plan that won't raise the federal deficit it just doesn't seem as if there's a way that can do that that can that the spending can keep up with the money that's being produced um all all those plans those progressive plans are going to increase the federal deficit now that being said they are going to mitigate that effect by creating new jobs or sanders's claims i guess that they are going to mitigate that effect by creating new jobs and adding back to the economy but within that 10-year span there is definitely going to be an increase in the federal deficit that won't be overcome until later the um the thing to note though is that the bird rule is effectively dead and has yeah. been <laughs> for decades yeah um because people just pass what they want without ignoring it and i don't i don't necessarily think that's a bad thing though well, yeah. i i i don't really agree with the uh I don't know, the fetishization of the, the federal deficit and how everyone's so obsessed with it. Well, the Bird Rule was implemented to kind of put a limit on the type of bills that can get through under this loophole. So the way that debate works in the Senate is that the Bird Rule doesn't stand in effect unless someone in the chambers brings up a point of parliamentary procedure and says this is in violation of the bird rule. So if everyone just stays quiet, if mums the word, Bernie Sanders could essentially get through whatever he wants on reconciliation. But that lies um, 
that rests on making sure no one brings up the bird rule no one says that as a reason to stop his bill from going through and that's a very precarious thing to rest your entire climate change plan and your entire healthcare plan on is making sure everyone in the senate can keep their mouth shut and doesn't bring up issue about the bird rule except if someone does bring up the bird rule um it then goes to the senate parliamentarian to determine if it would increase the deficit and if that person says that it does or it would then he can then be overruled by the vice president which is which is the of running course yeah. yeah well that that's true and all um obviously i'm gonna say that the parliamentarian would probably definitely make that call um, saying that it would increase the deficit because that has to be included in the bill itself. But um, if if Bernie Sanders is just going to propose that the vice president overrule the parliamentarian each and every single time, why not just take the easier path and say, hey, let's get rid of the filibuster? It's this big, long, convoluted way of getting around the filibuster when it's just as much, I guess you would say, if you consider getting rid of the filibuster a violation of parliamentary procedure, it's just as much of a violation to ask your vice president to put down the parliamentarian every single time they bring up an issue. It just doesn't seem very reasonable or feasible at all. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't really see anything wrong with it, but I think he should also abolish the filibuster. Yeah, so it just seems like Bernie Sanders needs to get this bill through as a bill on its own merit. If he wants to take out the filibuster to get that done, that seems more reasonable than trying to disguise it as a spending bill through budget reconciliation. That doesn't seem very reasonable to me. And it just seems like it's putting a lot of faith in the budget reconciliation process to try to smuggle this bill through Congress when it'd be much better if it was done in full faith whether that means with or without a filibuster. And that concludes this conversation on climate change, so... Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Idiot Soup. You can find us on Instagram at Idiot Soup Podcast, on Twitter at Idiot Soup Pod, and also on Facebook if you want to get in touch with us. If you're a boomer. (laughs) If you're a boomer, then you can get in touch with us on Facebook. So with that being said, that concludes this episode of Idiot Soup. Goodbye. Goodbye. (laughs)